0: Welcome in to Outkick the Show. I'm your fearless leader, Clay Travis. I hope all of you are having fantastic Wednesdays, wherever you may be across this great nation. Uh, tomorrow, big game. I cannot wait for it. Well, first of all, my, 12, uh, my 12-year-old has a big 7th grade football game that I'm going to be going to. I cannot wait for that. But after that game, I also cannot wait to watch... Florida, Utah. And I want to give you the absolute latest on that game. I think it's one of the three best games of the opening weekend. Uh, As I discussed yesterday, the line has been plummeting uh, in this game as Cam Rising's health has continued to come into question. And I want to make sure that I get the absolute latest on this line. But it was – I saw it Gators 7.5-point underdog. Uh, within the last uh, few days. Um, So it's now Utah minus three and a half or four in this game. It's going to be 8 o'clock Eastern tomorrow from out in Salt Lake City. Should be a rabid environment. Of course, it's a rematch of this game that started last year. And the way that the line is moving, my good buddy Todd Furman, for those of you who used to watch uh, Lock It In back in the day, my good buddy Todd Furman years ago taught me that the number one story that always got told was from the line itself and in particular some of you will remember this back in the day when when Johnny Manziel was going to be suspended uh do you remember that like the uh, Johnny Manziel controversy the first place that you saw that that might be occurring is the line and i always say Coaches lie. Teams lie. They try to keep information close to the vest. But whether a star player is going to play or not is very rarely a game-time decision. Most of the time, there is a determination made well before they put on the uniform and jog out and start going through their warmups. And the story that is being told by this line right now is Cam Rising is not going to play. And that's why I was diving in on the under in this game because I think if Cam Rising does not play, um, I think if Cam Rising doesn't play, it's going to be an incredible under in this game Uh, because there's going to be a real struggle for points to be scored. we got a new quarterback being broken in for the Florida Gators. I didn't like their offensive line in the first place. Not a huge believer in their skill positions in general, and I am looking right now Uh, That line kind of bouncing back, a little bit of money being spent on Utah, but the over-under continues to come down. It's down right now as I am looking at 44 at DraftKings. And by the way, state of Kentucky, going to be gambling soon. If you go to DraftKings.com slash OutKick, DraftKings.com slash OutKick, I believe, is that website, you can get $200 uh, that you can get hooked up with uh, without having to worry about it at all uh, in terms of you being able to uh, to gamble on that. So, uh, again, easy to get hooked up. Encourage you guys to go check it out. Uh, and you can go uh, get your $200 with a $5 wager and $200 in no-risk bets. Uh, go get hooked up on that. Um, so we've got 18 different gambling picks that are up on OutKick. I went uh, crazy on opening weekend, 18 different games that I am betting. I'm so excited for college football to be back. I'm going to be at the Virginia-Tennessee game uh, here in my home uh, city of Nashville. ACC versus SEC kicking off. I like the over in that game. I gave you my gold, my silver, and my bronze games uh, yesterday. And I'll reiterate again, I like the under on Florida-Utah. I like the under in lsu and, uh, and the game against FSU, which is the best game of the week. I like the over in South Carolina going up against North Carolina. And I believe, if I can find it, I got so many different picks out here. Uh, just an absolute bevy of free picks. 18 out there. Uh, and so let me run through some of these. Thursday night game as well. I like Nebraska plus the points. Uh, I like the under, as I mentioned, Thursday night games on uh, Florida, Utah, Arkansas State, Oklahoma, the over 58.5. Ball State, Kentucky, I love. New offensive coordinator, new quarterback, weak offense last year. I think Kentucky's going to go balls to the wall. I like the over there. It's my second blood bank guarantee, by the way. My first blood bank guarantee of the week, Florida, Utah, the under. Uh, I like Colorado TCU, the over As I just mentioned, Virginia, Tennessee, the over. You can go read all of these if you're out there and you can't remember. Utah State, plus the points at Iowa. A&M, minus the points. Uh, Auburn, UMass, the over, uh, 52-and-a-half. I really like that one as well. Ohio State, Indiana. Ohio State naming a new quarterback, Indiana. I don't think they've officially named a new quarterback. Looks like it may be Taven Jackson. Uh, I'm taking the over 20, I mean, sorry, the plus 28-and-a-half. Rice, plus a lot of points against Texas. Nevada, USC, the over. MTSU, plus nearly 40 at Bama. Uh, West Virginia, plus 21 at Penn State. Over, as I mentioned, in North Carolina and South Carolina. Old Dominion, plus the points. Northwestern, plus the points at Rutgers, LSU, Florida State. Uh, I am going with the third blood bank guarantee. Uh, I'm going with the under in that game as well. So those are all my gambling picks. You know, I love gambling on both the NFL and college football. One of my favorite things to do in the fall, I will have the outkick six pack every week in the NFL. And I'll continue to write. All of you can go check it out at outkick, but I'll also continue to discuss it here. All of my college football gambling picks and as always get rich kids. All right. A couple of different stories that are out there. This is awful. Um, Mitch McConnell froze again, um, and I don't know how many of you saw the video. I shared it. I don't see this as a partisan issue. Everybody gets all fired up. Oh. I don't. I don't see it as a part of partisan issue. We have an age minimum in this country. You have to be at least thirty-five years old to be president of the United States. Uh, I don't hear very many people ever challenge that. Thirty-five years old back in the day was actually fairly old because people didn't live that long. And I think if you look at the history, the reason why we put an age minimum in place is if you look at historically dictators and kings, uh, what they did was often provide power to young sort of regents, and then the other person would continue to exercise the power in the background. Okay? Okay. So I understand why there was a minimum age, because the idea was, well, once you get to be 35 years old, you are your own man. 35 years old, by and large, I think most people still think of as relatively young today, when you live to be almost 80 on average, 35 is not an old age, right? I don't feel particularly old at 44, uh, but I've been eligible to be president for nine years. You can't fly an airplane after the age of 65. To me, I don't think that you should be able to be president of the United States after the age of 65. Regardless, sometimes that would potentially take otherwise electable people out of the running. I get it. To me, the window of 35 to 65, it works. I don't care whether you're Democrat, Republican, it doesn't exist. But in my ideal world, I would say 35 to 65 makes the most sense. There's a great article in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Maybe it was today. I can't remember. I read it. That best age to make financial decisions according to studies. Anybody have any idea? 54 years old. Because you're old enough to have learned enough about finances, about how to manage decisions, about how interest rates work. You probably have taken out a mortgage, probably had to pay credit card. You might've had student loan interest. You understand how to make rational decisions. 54 our financial brain peaks. On average, Warren Buffett today turned 93. He's obviously way better at financial decision-making than I am, He's probably way better than you. Uh, But on average... 54 years old. You can't fly an airplane after 65. I'll just keep hammering this home. It's beyond reckless to run Joe Biden at 82 years old. It was reckless given his uh, mental condition to run him when they did. But if you go back and listen to Joe Biden even talk five years ago, he's a pale approximation to what he is now. So, to me, Mitch McConnell, Dianne Feinstein, Joe Biden, in particular based on age, clearly don't have the mental and physical abilities to continue to represent the country, I don't think. Also, John Fetterman doesn't either. Now, the real kick in the teeth here is voters make decisions. And I can sit here and tell you I think 35 to 65 is a perfect window to be president of the United States. And many of you out there may well agree. I think 77% of the nation, as we discussed yesterday, believes Joe Biden's too old to be president. Uh, including 89% of Republicans, 69% of Democrats. This is one of the few things that everybody agrees on. Um, And Donald Trump is in a far better mental faculty than Joe Biden. Also, in general, though, I think 35 to 65, regardless of politics, would be ideal. And if I could go back in time and say one thing, I wish we had an age maximum for president of the United States instead of an age minimum. Because... I'm less concerned about the United States electing a 30-year-old than I am the United States electing an 82-year-old. And I think it's reckless that we all have to sit around here and say, oh, I think there's a decent chance Joe Biden would die in office, not because somebody killed him, not because he had some sort of crazy, unpredictable illness, but because he would just die of old age. I think that's reckless. And I think it's reckless for Mitch McConnell to still be in office, and I, based on it, what appears to be his, abil- his continued ability to freeze there, the fact that Diane Feinstein doesn't even have power of attorney, but she is still representing the state of California, I think is also reckless. The fact that John Fetterman was elected in the first place, there's way too many old people who don't have the mental or physical ability still trying to make decisions for this nation. And these old boomers, I'm just going to say it, won't step off the stage and allow others to rise up. And ultimately, it's the voters' fault, right? Because you and me and everybody else out there has the ability to insist on someone younger in a position of power, and most of the time, if you're an incumbent, you keep getting reelected. and It doesn't matter how old you are, and if you watch the video, and we'll embed it here, Mitch McConnell actually freezes while being asked about whether he's going to run for re-election in 2026. This is a big story, by the way, in the state of Kentucky right now, because Daniel Cameron is running against Andy Bashir for governor of the state of Kentucky. If Andy Bashir is reelected, he's a Democrat. He's let it be known that he is going to appoint a Democrat to replace Mitch McConnell in the event Mitch McConnell can't do his job. Which means in a 50-50 virtual Senate, the state of Kentucky could end up giving away that McConnell seat, if Andy Bashir is reelected. I'm going to work for Daniel Cameron, former University of Louisville football player. He's been on the radio show several times. I don't wish ill on anyone. We all have had elderly parents and grandparents that we have watched lose the ability to take care of themselves. I don't wish this on anybody. It's awful. I hope I get old enough to ever have health conditions in my 90s. I don't think I'll live that long, but if I make it that long, I hope that I am in good health enough to make it into my 90s where I have some of these health conditions arise. But my goodness, we can't have these people making the biggest and most important decisions in the country at the age in which they're doing it. And I just always come back to this. I wrote it in American Playbook. Joe Biden doesn't have the ability to do any job at OutKick. Joe Biden doesn't have the ability to do any job at Clay and Buck. Joe Biden doesn't have the ability to run a gas station on the corner in your hometown. Joe Biden doesn't hardly have the ability to do any job other than Walmart greeter. That's not an attack on Joe Biden. People say, well, you think Biden and the crime family? Yeah, I do think Joe Biden ran a crime family syndicate with Hunter and other members of his family. I do. I think 20 years ago and even 10 years ago, Joe Biden's physical uh, brain processing was far better. Heck, I think it was better when he announced he was running for president. I think you go back and listen to interviews With Joe Biden, while he was running in 2020, I think he was far better able to answer questions and talk, just basic communication skills. I think you can tell a big difference between the 2020 primary season and even the 2020 election and now. And that makes some sense, right? Because if you've been fortunate enough to have kids, kids change a lot in a year. The younger the kid, the more they change. A baby to one year old, profoundly different human. Well, when we get old, a year makes way more of an impact often. So it's not a surprise that Joe Biden would be deteriorating more rapidly, both physically and mentally, as he ages, because that's how age works. A year for a baby is a big deal because when you're growing up, one year from zero to one is a huge difference. If you're fortunate enough to be a parent, probably from 30 to 31 isn't that much of a difference in how you feel. I don't feel any different today, this is 100% true, than I did when I was 24. I feel fortunate to have good health at 44. But am I going to say the same thing at 54? Am I going to say the same thing at 64? I don't feel different 24 to 34, 34 to 44. I hope I can preserve this for some time to come. But certainly at some point, I'm going to start to have less energy than I have now. I'm not going to be able to have eight jobs. I'm not going to be able to write a book and do a daily radio show and do uh, television every day. And also, by the way, raise kids and run out kick and all these other things that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis because I'm going to age. And so Joe Biden can't do the job. And Mitch McConnell, I don't think, can do the job. And... I don't think Dianne Feinstein can do the job, and I don't think John Fetterman can do the job, but in particular, people over the age of 80 being put in positions of extreme importance I think is reckless in general in our country. Now, there are exceptions. I think Trump is far better at being able to handle his mental faculties at 77 than most 77-year-olds are. I think that uh, Warren Buffett, as I just mentioned, who turned 93 is far better than you and me and 99.99% of people at running a business. Charlie Munger, who's his business partner, almost 100. Also, still physically and ment- still mentally very sharp. Hey, Clay Travis here. We'll be right back. But first, here's a word. But I think it's reckless. And uh, and I don't think it's partisan. And and, and I think it's sad to see. Uh, all right, let's talk about this. Um, Corrie Jean-Pierre said that women's sports are a complicated issue when she was asked about whether Joe Biden and his administration believed that men should be able to identify and compete as women. I write a lot about this in American playbook, but this is something I'm super fired up about. So let me just talk about it this way. My 12 year old, I said earlier, he's got a football game coming up. Everybody in the seventh grade competes against other seventh graders. If My 12-year-old tomorrow, suddenly in a football game, had to compete against a 16-year-old. That 16-year-old would have a massive advantage. And everybody watching the sport would say that's unacceptable. We talked about earlier this week the Little League World Series. Congratulations to El Segundo, California, on winning. Kid hit a walk-off home run to win for El Segundo, California, against Curaçao. Again, congratulations. That was awesome. I just had my 12-year-old compete in a little league tournament up in Cooperstown, New York. We had to bring the actual physical copy of the birth certificate. I was told by my wife several times, whatever you do, don't lose this original birth certificate. Spoiler alert, I lost the birth certificate, right? I did. Dad's incompetent in many different ways. We had to go get a new birth certificate which wasn't actually that complicated, but that's neither here nor there. But here's the question. Why did they need the original birth certificate? Why was a photocopy not enough? Why was a uh, a, a non-official birth certificate not acceptable? Because they were concerned that people would lie about the age of the kid playing in 12-year-old baseball. And anybody out there who has ever coached Little League baseball or basketball or football – knows that the difference in a couple of years can make a tremendous uh, difference in whether or not somebody succeeds or fails. You can't be trans age. I just told you all that I'm 44. I can't suddenly identify as 16 years old and go play high school sports. My age is a biological reality. I can't be trans age. I also don't get to choose my race. I can't sit down to you today and say, All of you need to acknowledge that I am black, or I am Asian, or I am Hispanic today. I'm a white guy. I can't be trans race, and I can't demand that all of you acknowledge trans age or trans race that I am something that I am not physically, actually, truly representing. I'm a white guy. I'm 44 years old. I can't come in and tell you, hey, I'm actually a Latino uh, 16 year old. But if I told you that I was a woman, you would have to believe it and you would have to accept it. And moreover, you would have to acknowledge it and allow me to compete against women. What kind of sense does that make? If I can't be transracial, in fact, that's racist. And if I can't be trans age, why should I be able to be transgender? Reality exists. I am a chronological age. I'm 44 years old. If I tried to argue that my 12-year-old was 8, and if I signed him up for 8-year-old baseball, he would dominate. But every 8-year-old baseball parent would say, this is unacceptable. You can't do this. If I tried my 8-year-old, I had uh, football yesterday, flag football. If I showed up and put a 12-year-old in his flag football league, if I put my 12-year-old son in the 8-year-old league for flag football, he would dominate. Wouldn't be allowed. And every single parent on the planet would say, no, this is not acceptable. We've seen these scandals in the Little League World Series where people argue that they're different age, which is why they make you bring the hard copy of the birth certificate. I raise all of those issues because... The idea of being transgender, to me, is a biological falsehood. But if you want to identify as a different gender, that's fine. But as soon as you require me to acknowledge that you are actually something that you are not, for purposes of competition, we moved from inclusion to exclusion. Because by being inclusive you are excluding somebody from being able to compete for a championship. Inclusion becomes exclusion. If you think about it, it makes sense. If a guy takes a spot on a women's sports team, he is eliminating another woman. The inclusion of his biological lie isn't just giving him something to feel better about. It's actually excluding others. And that is, I think, a very substantial situation. And so as you break all of this down, this is foundational to me. If your political party requires that you tell me something that I know to be a falsehood, and there's a difference between an opinion, okay? Whether or not an election was rigged is an opinion, okay? Whether or not it is, whether or not you are a man or a woman is not an opinion. It is a biological reality. And if you require me, as a part of your party ideology, to, to, to accept and advocate for a lie, then I can't trust your party on any issue. Men are men, women are women. That's why we've separated men's and women's sports for all of our lives. And if we are going to allow men to claim to be women and win women's championships, that, I am sorry, is a lie. And when you know that something is a lie, you are obligated, I believe, in this country to speak out against its perpetuation. Again, facts versus opinion. There is a big difference between a fact and an opinion. It is my opinion. It is my opinion that uh, that men are bigger, stronger, and faster than women, and will win more championships in a uh, in a head-to-head competition. I think it would be 100% factually accurate if we actually saw all those competitions. It is not my opinion that water freezes at 32 degrees. It is not my opinion that when a baby is born, a doctor looks and says, this baby has a penis, it is a boy. This baby has a vagina, it is a girl. Okay, There is biological reality. Men or women, you are one or the other. On the very limited circumstances where you have sexual organs of both, that is a disorder. That is a failure of biology, and it occurs almost never. But when it does, that is a different idea. And so when that occurs, I think that's awful and unfortunate, but that's a biological anomaly. That is an exception. 99.99% of the time when a baby is born, we know whether it's a boy or girl. And in all circumstances, in my opinion, the idea that you would say a man should be able to compete against a woman and that man is a woman, which is the next step that they all take. Is a lie. It is a factual inaccuracy. I'm not willing to say it. And I don't think that any sports fan in America should be willing to say it. It's beyond absurd. The Biden White House won't say it. And if the Biden White House won't acknowledge a lie, a clear biological lie, while ironically claiming to be the party of science, then to me, that is utterly unacceptable. And it should be called out. Um also utterly unacceptable I look, I have a uh, a high end art degree. I don't make a lot of uh, spend a lot of time on it. It's written about in the book. I have a law degree. You guys all know that I have a law degree. I graduated from Vanderbilt 2004. I'm currently licensed as an attorney in multiple jurisdictions. Those are facts by the way. I also went to Vanderbilt and got a master's of fine arts in creative writing. So I have double graduate degrees from Vanderbilt. One of the things that I am troubled, one is a law degree. The other is a master of fine arts, both facts. I am troubled by what I see in the world of art. This whole idea of cultural appropriation and the idea being that if you are a member of a particular group, you are not allowed to be involved artistically in discussion of that group. This has become a big issue in the world of fiction because there's a big argument now that if you are a fiction writer, that you shouldn't be able to adopt the persona of another ethnic group or sometimes even another gender or somebody else's sexuality or whatever else. In other words, that you're only allowed to write about people like yourself. So it would say, hey, I'm a straight white guy, so I would only be allowed under this perception, under this argument, I would only be allowed to write about straight white men. Anybody else that I wrote about, if I had a narrator who was a gay black woman, for instance, that would be unacceptable. The idea is that you're only allowed to share the experiences of your identity. And it even goes crazier, if I wrote about some this for instance someone from South America, I wouldn't be allowed to write about someone from South America because I'm a white guy from America. This is crazy, right? And and by the way, this is not just writing. This is also going on in acting. The idea is you are only allowed to portray people who are like you. They even get mad sometimes when non-fat actors portray fat actors. But if you are not of a particular ethnicity, then you are not allowed to be a member of the portrayal of that ethnicity. Except, by the way, if you are a minority, you're definitely allowed to play a white person. It's like you go watch Hamilton, these are clear historical white people, or you go watch Bridgerton, and clearly non-white actors are allowed to play historically white actors or actresses. And this is never allowed to occur in any other facet, right? Like, I couldn't come out and decide that I want to write a country and western version of the Obama administration, right? Uh, And I'm going to have, I don't know, Toby Keith play Barack Obama. And Michelle Obama is going to be played by Carrie Underwood. People would lose their minds, right? Because cross-racial politics only applies where other people get to play white people. There's no ability for uh, non-members of a racial group to play that group, okay? So this is like the the racial dynamic rules that exist out out here right now. I saw this story I read this morning in the New York Times. So the city of Philadelphia decided they wanted to do a Harriet Tubman sculpture. Harriet Tubman, of course, Underground Railroad helped to save A large number of slaves from slavery helped to bring them to the North, to the free lands, okay? She's a historically relevant figure. A white sculptor did a very well-received sculpture of Harriet Tubman, and it traveled all over the country, and people said, my goodness, this is really good. City of Philadelphia, evidently Harriet Tubman has a relationship with the city of Philadelphia. They decided that they wanted a Harriet Tubman sculpture. So this white guy who had already successfully done a Harriet Tubman sculpture, which had been very widely praised, got paid to do a Harriet Tubman sculpture. They did like a contract. He was ready to go. Then it came out that the sculptor was white and the controversy over a white sculptor being allowed to do a sculpture of Harriet Tubman was considered so unacceptable that they fired the white sculptor and they replaced him with a contest only black sculptors were able to send forward a model and I believe the final five all are black artists. So we now have created a world Where if you do a fabulous sculpture of a black woman, but you are a white man, you are not able to actually be paid to produce this work of art, which everyone acknowledges is designed to honor a black woman, Harriet Tubman. Philadelphia fired the white artist who had already done a very widely acclaimed sculpture of Harriet Tubman. They replaced him with five black finalists all based on their race. They said it's unacceptable for a white guy to do a black woman sculptor. What is going on? The entire point of art is to be able to take yourself out of your mind and try to experience what it might be like to be a member of someone other than yourself. The entire concept of fiction is... I am writing a work that is not true, designed to see the world through other people's eyes. And in so doing, I want to expand the consciousness and understanding of everyone. White, black, Asian, Hispanic, gay, straight, male, female, whatever. The entire purpose of acting is to pretend to be someone other than yourself. That's the entire basis of the art form. No one, by and large, ever pretends to be themselves unless they're so famous that they're playing themselves in some form of autobiographical work, which is very rare. The in- and even when you do that, you're playing yourself at a different age or a different version than yourself would otherwise be, okay? Okay an exaggerated comic version, a smarter version, whatever it is, it's still a form of art. This is bonkers. The goal of art is to produce profound, nuanced, intelligent, captivating perspectives that require all of us to push the boundaries of our own thought and think differently than we might have before we experienced that art. That is the goal of fiction. That is the goal of acting. That is the goal of, to a large extent, music. That is the goal of art itself. What this really represents is a form of racism. Because what you are saying, instead of we have a common humanity, is... Everybody's experience is so unique that only the people who experience it themselves are allowed to share it. And in reality, we do not have a common humanity. We have only our individual experiences. We're not trying to connect across our differences. We're trying to stay in silos and only share the experiences that we ourselves have had. This is the antithesis of the melting pot. This is the antithesis of all of cultural assimilation. The goal of the world should be to experience the best. I'm drinking a coffee right now. According to some stories, coffee came from Ethiopia. Should only Ethiopians have the experience to drink coffee? White men in the United States, created the Internet. Should only white men be able to use the Internet? This is laughably absurd. The goal of humanity is to take, this is the entire purpose of our government, to take what worked in Greece and Rome, create something new that allows a furtherance of the human condition, a betterment of the human condition. I get really fired up about this because we're going backwards in many of the arguments that are profoundly illiberal that I'm seeing being made on a day-to-day basis. Speaking of which, I saw this story. I can't believe it. The University of Wyoming has a dude in the Kappa Gappa Gamma sorority who is pretending that he is a girl. The members of the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority at the University of Wyoming sued and they said, hey, this dude is six foot two. He has uh, a, uh, a penis and he is living in our sorority house and he regularly has erections and he tries to see all of us naked. The judge, Alan Johnson, dismissed the lawsuit of the women, said that women were not identified uh, because they didn't specify what a woman is. Uh, And Langford uh, said, the, the judge said, it doesn't even matter if this guy gets an erection. That's not a sign that he's a man. I would submit to you that if you have a penis and if you get an erection with it, That is a fairly significant sign that you may well be male. Even if you don't get an erection, because lots of Democrats have penises that don't work. Even if you don't get an erection, if you have a penis, you are a man, right? This is a truth. Six foot two dude. He'll say, oh, this is what about is the entire legal process is founded on subtly altering fact patterns in an effort to try to determine what is acceptable and what's unacceptable. So let me just tell you this. What would happen at the University of Wyoming if there was a dude in the parking lot of the Kappa Kappa Gamma sorority and he was standing out there with an erection chasing around women when they were trying to walk into the sorority house? And if he were asking them questions, like according to this report uh, that is out there, according to the women who filed the lawsuit, uh, they would regularly, uh, this guy would regularly ask all sorts of questions. This guy, the six foot two dude, repeatedly questioned the women about what vaginas look like, breast cup sizes, whether women were considering breast reductions and birth control. This is, Probably a conversation that isn't very common. I don't know how many heterosexual men out there are watching or listening to me right now. I bet most of you have, quote, not repeatedly questioned women about what vaginas look like. I, I don't think that that's a normal conversation that a heterosexual man would have. If this were occurring, on the front lawn of the Kappa, Kappa Gamma house, house, as these women tried to enter, If this were occurring in the parking lot as these women tried to enter, if this guy had an erection and he was asking women questions like these, he would be charged with a crime and he would get a restraining order and he wouldn't be allowed in the physical location near any of these women. I think most of you out there are like, yeah, Clay, I totally expect that would happen. What this judge is saying is it's okay for him to do that inside the house where the women live. This is happening in Wyoming, which is one of the reddest states in the country. A dude, six foot two, is getting to live in a sorority house, getting erections, running around trying to see if these chicks are naked, asking them what vaginas look like. It's weird. And all of these women, that was your daughter, that was your granddaughter, that was your sister, that was your girlfriend, all of these women are under threat. And if this were occurring in the parking lot outside of the Kappa Kappa Gamma House or in the front lawn of the Kappa 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 Gamma House at the University of Wyoming, this dude would be arrested and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. Instead, this district court judge in Wyoming is saying he gets to be a member of the sorority because he's a woman. Again, lies matter. And when you see them, you should call them out. This is not an opinion. This dude has a dick, he gets hard, watching women, he is not a sorority member. He should be out of the sorority. Honestly, I think he should probably be charged with crimes. Um, ACC expansion, much less significant. SMU on the board, Cal Berkeley on the board, Stanford on the board. Does it make sense for the ACC to expand? I asked that question, somewhere around 60% of you, 65% of you said no. I think it's going to end up happening because I think they're going to take all of the money that ESPN has to pay the ACC for expanding, SMU, Cal, and Stanford, and they're going to give that money as bonuses to Florida State and Clemson or any other school that has substantial athletic success to try to allow those schools to potentially be more competitive going forward. Uh, I also think ESPN is desperate because Oregon, Washington, USC, and UCLA are all now in the Big Ten, and ESPN gets none of those games. I think ESPN is desperate to have West Coast teams. They get some through the Big 12, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado. They get some access to those teams. But the entire state of California, Oregon, and Washington right now, no access for ESPN to the West Coast. I think ESPN wants Cal, Stanford, and uh, SMU to a lesser extent. But Cal and Stanford in particular, I expect for this to happen. We'll see how it all ends up shaking out. Finally, fantasy football. Jonathan Taylor is on the pup list for the first four games of the season because – Green Bay and the Miami Dolphins in particular who made a run at trying to get Jonathan Taylor, they couldn't agree on a trade value for the Colts running back, and so he reportedly is not going to play now for the first four games of the season. This is part and parcel of a larger battle. It used to be that running backs were among the most uh, popular and valuable assets on a football field. Now the quarterback, the wide receiver, left tackle, even right tackles, um, cornerbacks, defensive ends, many of them now, even tight ends, are becoming more valued on the football field. Running backs are getting short shrift here because they have relatively short time frames in which they are dominant and because the analytics reflect that by and large other positions matter far more. And so Jonathan Taylor is getting caught up here. We've seen it happen uh, already uh, with, uh, certainly with the dispute that Saquon Barkley's in the middle of right now, uh, with Josh Jacobs, with the Oakland Raiders. There just isn't going to be major pay going to the running back position, and I think that is what Jonathan Taylor is running into. All right, Uh, I love all of you. DBAP unless you need to SBAP tomorrow. College football kicks off. Look forward to hanging out with you guys then. I will see you then. This has been OutKick Show.